Good morning, it is Liam Schmidt here from Irish Funds. We are delighted to share with you the latest instalment of our FinTech Working Group Speaker Series, where we welcome Sam Glynn from Code in Motion to speak on the topic of cybersecurity for regulated firms. In this whistle-stop tour of all things cybersecurity, Sam addresses key guidance from recent years that you should be aware of, analyzes common gaps in firms' current approach, as well as looking forward to future regulations, including DORA. Sam underscores the fundamentals of how cybersecurity attacks can occur, and also how best to counteract these while highlighting some real-world case studies. Paul Burke of Link Group introduces the webinar, as well as moderating the Q&A session. I'm sure you'll find the insights to be fascinating and be sure to keep an eye out for further podcasts shortly from the Irish Funds podcast channel. Good morning all and welcome to our first speaker series event for 2023. And today we're kicking off with a good one. I am Paul Burke, the current vice chair of the Irish Funds FinTech Working Group. And it is my pleasure to introduce our topic today. January is a time to reflect and ponder the year ahead. And to quote the late JFK, the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining, which is relevant today as we plant the seed on cybersecurity for regulated firms, outlining steps which we can act on today that help prepare us for potential adverse events. For some, this may be a refresher of the basics, but also a timely reminder of the baseline expectations from the Central Bank of Ireland. Our guest speaker today is Sam Glenn from Code in Motion, an experienced independent advisor on all cyber matters. Sam has a very informative session planned for us, and we have allowed time at the end for some questions and answers. So please submit them in the chat box as we go. So, okay, Sam, I'll hand it over to you. Okay, great. Thanks, Paul. Um, sorry, I've missed your slide there. But uh, in terms of um, the, the session, I'll go through the agenda in a moment, but just to quickly introduce myself. Um, I'm Sam Glynna Code in Motion. I provide independent advice um, to help you keep the cyber attackers and regulators from your door. Um, in terms of how I do that, it's around independent assessments of your current defenses uh, using uh, benchmarks and baselines, the appropriate ones for your organization, and then guiding you on how to close those gaps. Um, in terms of why, I suppose my background is very much the regulated financial services world. I've been doing this for 10 years as an independent advisor. And prior to that, I worked within uh, Biome, which was once Ireland's largest investment manager, a part of SSGA and Bank of Ireland. And uh, I've passed a few exams as well. Um, before I start, I just want to flag that the um, there's a lot of text on all the slides, which goes against all of the, you know, the, the, the best practice around training. Uh, the reason I do that is, A, I think some people learn by reading, um, some people learn by listening. Uh, so I will, I will talk about whatever's on the slides. You don't have to read whatever's on the slides. I'll walk through that with you. But also, um, the slides are available as handouts within the session uh, later on. So if you want to take the slides and reread them, or if you want to share them with your colleagues, then the idea is that, that they, they might still get value from them, even if they didn't attend this uh, webinar. Um, in terms of you, I suppose I just want to flag the the session is structured in a, in a slightly unusual way because I'm trying to address what I think would be the concerns of the three groups that might be in this audience. Um, this is Irish Funds, so I would expect there to be a lot of people in the audience um, that would work for global regulated entities with access to skilled cybersecurity teams. So your concerns may be much more about regulatory compliance than they are about the actual you know, cyber attacks that are going around. 
but I'm also aware of the fact that um, there are smaller regulated entities uh, where they're reliant on external third parties um, and security service providers. So uh, while obviously regulatory compliance is also important to them, um, it's important to make sure that we're not missing out on some of the key technical um, or policy or people uh, security defences that will stop you being the next victim of a, of a common attack. So that's another part of this session. And then there's a third group, which could be the fintechs or other um, companies that are selling into regulated firms. So they may not be regulated themselves, but um, it's, it's very important that they understand the world of a regulated firm. Um, because a lot of the time when I'm dealing with fintechs, they believe there is a solution to a problem. But when I then look at the regulated firms that they're trying to sell to, the regulated firms are very reluctant to engage with the fintech because they see them as a risk. So the reason why they, they're seen as a risk is, um, is going to be obvious in this session. So really, it's a bit of a late, late show. It's, it's a whistle-stop tour, but it's hopefully something for everyone that's in that audience. So into the agenda. Um, I suppose first up, I'll just talk about the past, which would be very much uh, things that the central bank cross-industry guidance uh, from the central bank over the years, uh, from 2016, which is their kind of key cybersecurity guidance into their dear CEO letters, um, and also operational resilience and outsourcing, which is a more recent uh, topic. Uh, then I'll step back and say, well, you know, while there is regulatory guidance, why is there this guidance? Why is there such a focus on cyber risk? Um, and it's talking about, well, why do, why do attacks succeed? And just making sure that while you're focused on regulatory compliance, you're not forgetting the fact that this is all about cyber attackers and, and the risks to your, your money, your reputation and uh, your data. And then I'll get into the future, um, which is what's on the horizon. And, and I'll introduce Dora, the enforcer which is a new regulation that's coming down the track, which, which actually, when you read through it, it does kind of unify um, the past and the present and, and tries to put it into a much more enforceable regulation uh, that's coming uh, in the next two years. So in terms of the past, um, a lot of this might be very familiar to anyone that's been following the guidance from the central bank, but again, it's no harm to just kind of replay that. Um, in 2016, in September, the central bank in, uh, issued a cross-industry guidance on cybersecurity. Uh, it was split across four pillars. IT risk oversight and governance was the first. So really it's all, all about making sure that the organization has an IT strategy and an IT risk strategy that's aligned to the business um, and, and properly supported with the appropriate uh, resources. Um, and also the fact that the board and senior management are accountable for cybersecurity. It isn't an IT thing, it's an organizational risk thing. So it's making sure that the board and the senior management group um, have sufficient knowledge and awareness of what's going on. Uh, the second pillar is around IT risk management, which is making sure that this is actually being managed as a risk, as the organization manages operational risk. Um, so it's it's flagging that you know organizations have a lack of a comprehensive holistic IT risk management framework um, to make sure that risks are constantly being reviewed, being caught, being managed, being mitigated, um, and that, that no one's asleep at the wheel eff effectively. And key risks being business continuity, disaster recovery, backups, that, that those things aren't either documented or if they're documented, uh, they're not tested. So, um, you know, a, a plan or a, a policy that's not tested is as useful as a, an ash train on a motorbike. Uh, the third pillar, strangely enough, and cross-industry guidance and cybersecurity, the third pillar is about cybersecurity risk. Uh, and it does get into some of the specifics. Um, it doesn't get into the weeds too much, but it does flag some obvious things. Um, things like staff awareness training, um, and then other cyber security management activities. And the second part of this agenda, I'll get into what those things might look like. And the fourth piece, um, which, which reflects their more recent um, focus is around outsourcing risk. 
and that's just an acknowledgement that most regulated entities um, are part of a value chain. They do not do everything for themselves. Uh, they are reliant on third parties, um, and therefore their risk, uh, you know, the weakest point is it could be their third parties. So it's making sure that entities that have done outsourcing or that are heavily reliant on outsourced partners um, recognize that they're still accountable for the risk and that they're doing the appropriate things to make sure they're, they're overseeing and uh, supervising the risk in these third parties. I think the key piece and why I've highlighted it in green is the four pillars all have risk mentioned and that's why it's important to remember that cybersecurity is a risk uh, and it needs to be managed as a risk as you manage any other risks to your uh, organization. Uh, in terms of the, the next piece, uh, March 2020, Dear CEO letters, there were Dear CEO letters sent out to a number of different um, pillars, but for the asset managers after uh, thematic inspection, there was four kind of key findings that came out of that. Um, and very reflective of what they had said in 2016. They are still saying in 2020 that the board either doesn't know about cybersecurity or doesn't um, sufficiently care. So either there's limited board knowledge uh, of what cybersecurity risk is uh, in relation to the organization, or there is an insufficient prioritization of cybersecurity. It is still seen as an IT thing, um, and yet it isn't. Uh, so it's trying to make sure that organizations and board members are taking this seriously because the central bank and regulators are, and, and cyber attackers are clearly uh, taking it very seriously. The other piece is that even if the board does know or does care, they're not being told enough. So it's about the quality and frequency of reporting um, and the, the, the quantitative data that's being reported or that's being missed. So, you know, when, when you're managing risks, there's key risk indicators, there's leading indicators, there's lagging indicators, there, you know, there's lots of, there's hundreds of potential data points that you could pick uh, in terms of your cybersecurity defenses that should be reported um, either to the board or reported to someone that can then analyze that, aggregate it and present it to the board in a consumable way. I won't get into those uh, KRIs or KPIs now, but, you know, it can be as simple as presenting it in such a way that it's traffic light system. The board members don't necessarily need to know, you know, what software patching is, but if they see something that's green last month or in the last board meeting and it's it's gone amber now, they can ask the question, why has this thing gone amber and what's the plan to get it green? You don't need to be a cybersecurity expert on the board to ask that question. So it is very much about the, the central bank saying, well, how are we presenting this information about this key risk to the board uh, so that the board can, can make um, appropriate decisions? The third piece is that the firms can't secure what they don't know. So there's not a, a clear view of what actual assets uh, are in use, what, what are the key systems, what are the systems that um, support critical or important business processes. Uh, and without that kind of view, there, there can be a complete, you know, you might think you're in good shape, but you've completely forgotten a critical business function that's reliant on this IT system that's sitting in the corner. Um, so it's it's kind of saying, well, if you don't know what you're what you're trying to secure, how can you possibly secure it? Um, and even when you do know what you've got, you're not uh, organizations aren't proactively scanning. So it's all about trying to do in a, in advance what the bad guys are doing every day. It's 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 scanning, looking for for vulnerabilities, looking for gaps in your environment to see um, you know where are the weaknesses, where could the bad guys try to get in. And the fourth piece is then around the instant response plans. So, you know, even with the best of defenses, the right most determined attacker, a James Bond out there, is going to find a way in if they really want to get in. Um, and and I'll, as I'll talk later, in a lot of cases, it's not James Bond that just gets in. It can be the, the opportunist uh, Jim the burglar because of a lack of basic uh, security measures. 
And it's about having an incident response plan in place that's documented and tested to say, well, when something happens, when somebody tells us they think they've clicked on a link that, that's caused something, or when someone tells us they've seen unusual activity on a laptop, or you know, when we, we get contacted by some unusual third party telling us that they have our data, what are we gonna do? So you can either write out that plan now, uh, in advance and think about how that would work and test it and see you know really does it work the way we expect or you can wait until you get until the incident happens uh, at which point you're all running around like headless chickens um, you know it's very stressful it's a very uh, emotional time for everybody going through that kind of an incident uh, so the central bank is saying you know you're going to have to respond to an incident at some point why not prepare for that now so I suppose the difference here in terms of the Dear CEO letters versus the central bank uh, guidance from 2016 is it's getting much more specific about what they now expect or what at least in 2020 they were expecting to see if they knocked on your door. Moving on to 2021, um, what we're talking about here is uh, operational resilience. So not, not necessarily specific to cybersecurity, but uh, you know this is the theme. So it's not just about now uh, recovering from failure. It's about trying to look at, well, where could things fail and how could we um, be resilient so that the failure doesn't actually knock out our processes. Um, at least the critical processes so that you know the key processes that our customers rely on that our value chain relies on the key processes that couldn't possibly fail for a day without it having massive impact on the organization what can you do in advance to make sure that those processes will be able to continue to operate um, and it's about planning for that before you need it uh, and strangely enough cyber uh, security um, and resilience around cyber security uh, comes up in a number of places. So for example, guideline seven, it's about identifying your, your key business services, your key business processes, and then identifying the technology that those rely on so that you can then say, well, if this system is a key part of this service, then we need to think about, well, if this system goes down, how do we continue with this key service? Guideline eight is around identifying your third-party dependencies. So it's not just about your internal IT systems. Um, it is very much about, well, what critical or important business processes rely on third parties and you know more and more we rely on external IT providers external SaaS providers fintechs whatever it might be so while they can provide you know great flexibility and and maybe you know very cost effective solutions um, by relying on third parties your resilience is reduced because you don't have as much control over things so when that third party goes out goes out of action for a day even as Microsoft um, had an outage earlier in the week with Teams and uh, with Microsoft 365, it's it's looking at well, if those things go down, what are we, what are, you know what are we going to do to make sure the business is um, you know is not disrupted? Um, guideline nine, it's all about strategies to meet your resilience needs. So it's it's trying to make sure that you're not saying well, oh well, we can recover a system you know from a backup so we can you know we can restore it uh to the start of the business day it's it's turning it around and saying well what systems are important to us um if they were to fail uh, and we were to lose some data what's the maximum amount of data that we could lose if they were to fail and we needed to recover them what's the maximum amount of time that we could survive without them so it's it's looking at it from the business first making sure that the key processes um and that the the it systems behind it are designed to uh, to make sure the processes don't fail and then in the same year, there was uh, cross-industry guidance around outsourcing, which again is not necessarily about cybersecurity. But you know, when you look at outsourcing, it's all about due diligence, um, contractual clauses and things. And then you look down into where does cyber appear there? So the first piece is before you do any kind of outsourcing, you're considering the risk of the outsourcing, uh, including the use of cloud. So 
that's one thing. Then you're doing due diligence. So when you're actually into the point of selecting a preferred outsourced provider, it's looking at the due diligence and the cybersecurity controls. So that's, you know, if you're going to use a, a new SaaS, you're going to um, bring in a new solution from a fintech where they host the solution. You need to dig into, well, how are they managing the cybersecurity on their side? Because you're still accountable for it. Then when you're actually into the contractual negotiations, there are very specific things that you need to ensure are in the contract. Um, including a right to review and test their security, which uh, obviously depending on the size of your organization versus the size of the cloud provider, that can pre present some uh, challenges. Um, you know, trying to have a right to review and, and a right to test the security of Microsoft 365 uh, is, is quite a, an interesting um, thing. But the point is that you're thinking about these things and that you're, you're documenting that you've considered these things and, and the pros and cons and the risks. So it is just a reminder, I suppose, that always, you know, while we're all heavily reliant on outsourced providers and, and part of a value chain, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we're still accountable for risk. Uh, and that will come back again when I talk about Dora in a moment. So that's really a, a, a skipping across the surface of the types of things that are coming out of the central bank. Um, the central bank is only one regulator. Obviously, depending on the type of organization you are, you might have to worry about um, guidance from IOPA, uh, ESMA, uh, the European Banking Authority, you know, th there's lots of other ones that I could have gone into, but the themes are very common. The requirements are very similar, but not necessarily completely aligned. Um, you know, there's lots of times where you, you end up having to do cross checks and spreadsheets of what are the requirements in this document, what are the requirements docu that document, what are different, where's the, the higher uh, benchmark, uh, and Dora might help to, to solve that problem in the future. But the point is there, there's kind of an underlying theme here that the regulators are concerned about cyber risk um, and they need to make sure that organizations are th taking this seriously. But while that happens, uh, and this brings me on to the second section of this, of this session, um, you know, I've been doing it 10 years working with financial services firms and a lot of the time, you know, what's driving their action is regulatory compliance, which, which you know, is perfectly fine. Um, you know, you're, you're potentially going to be tested by a regulator on your compliance, your alignment with their expectations. So clearly, if you're going to be tested, you're preparing for the test. But what happens, or I've seen happen, is that your focus on the regulatory compliance can take your focus away from the actual, you know, underlying immediate threat of the bad guys targeting you or one of your staff members and getting away with, you know, with money, if, if that's what happens, uh, or getting away with your data, which causes a whole range of, um, you know, downstream kind of impacts and carnage. Um, so it's no harm for us to kind of take a step back and say, well, while the regulatory guidance is there, we need to be cognizant of it. Um, it it's kind of, you, there's something you need to do first, which is to make sure that you've got a secure foundation, you know, uh, the, the key and a lot of times simple defenses in place to make sure that while you're getting your regulatory compliance sorted, uh, you know, you're not leaving the front door wide open. So, uh, you know, in terms of what I've seen, if, if any organization uh, announces that they've been a victim of an attack, uh, you're pretty much guaranteed they're going to say that they were the victims of a sophisticated attack. And that's the perception that, you know, oh, well, you know, if this large organization was attacked, it must have been very sophisticated. It was, you know, multi-layered attack by the likes of James Bond. But the reality is for most cyber attacks, and I don't know your organization, so, you know, you could be quite a target for the likes of the James Bonds out there, but most attacks are not sophisticated. And the reason they're not sophisticated is that they don't need to be, because many organizations, even those that are, you know, um, have their three layers of defense, have good risk teams, have good cyber teams, um, the focus can be on 
uh, the wrong thing sometimes, and they might forget to just turn back and make sure the front door isn't wide open. So uh, rather than talk about you know all the defences and things like that, you know uh, we can we can talk about that at another time. I suppose these are the things that if you're not a cyber person, if you're not in in cyber risk or cyber security uh, risk management. Uh, have a think about these things and say, well, if you can do these things or if you know someone in your organization can do these things, it might be an indication that you could be a victim of an unsophisticated attack. And I say might because they might be able to do one of these things and there might be other security defenses in place uh, to mitigate the risks of these things. Uh, and this is just five. There's, there's plenty of things I could ask you, but if any of the following is true, it might be a sign that you're at risk. The first would be if you have a staff member using a laptop and they can download and install an application from the internet. Um, that, that's an indication that they have privileges to make changes to their laptop, which means that if a bad guy gets in by fooling them uh, and gets their software onto the laptop, that software can actually uh, get installed and run. Now, there, there are ways the bad guys can get around, that, around it anyway, but uh, you know, unsophisticated attacks sometimes rely on your staff members being able to make changes on their laptops or install applications on their laptops. If they're able to do that, that could be a risk. The second one is that can they access a corporate system with just a password? And, and I would say is if they could access, access a corporate system across the internet. So the obvious one being, can they access your, your, you know, your Microsoft 365 or your Google Workplace account with just a password? Uh, the reason why that's a risk is um, if it's just a password and they could be fooled by you know, a cyber attacker into revealing their password, then the cyber attacker can now get into that system. Uh, and that's the start of, of a very painful situation. So again, it, it, there can be mitigation controls in place around that, but if, if a staff member can get into a system with just a password, it might be worth looking at. Um, if they can get into a corporate system from a non-corporate device, and I know, you know there are plenty of organizations that do allow that, so you know, if, you, if your staff members can log in from a personal Windows device at home and log into their corporate email system, unless you have other security defenses in place, that would suggest that, um, you know, they can get into a corporate system and the data from a device that you have no idea uh, what's on that device. You don't know the health of it. You don't know how secure it is. You don't know who else has used it. You don't know what they've downloaded. So it's it's uh, like BYOD is the terminology that they use in these things, bring your own device. Uh, BYOD could also stand for bring your own damage uh, because you don't know what's on the device. Uh, when someone accesses a corporate system from that device, you don't know what you know that malicious software that's on the device could do. Uh, it also raises data protection concerns in that if it's a you know if your corporate data that you're supposed to have control over is accessible from a device that you don't have control over then how can you you know how can you uh, say that you have maintained control over the data and then moving into you know if you're a senior manager uh, but you've never been involved in any kind of instant management planning uh, or in any kind of instant simulation test just to see you know does the plan stand up and then that to me is a bit of a sign that you're potentially at risk because if you're a senior manager, you probably will get pulled into an incident response uh, if an incident happens. So if you haven't involved in any planning, uh, then you're going to get a plan for the first time and have never seen it before. Uh, and if you've never been involved in any kind of testing, then the first time you're going to test the plan is when you're in the middle of an incident, which is not a great time to, to do a, a test. And then if you're a board member, and how I describe it is if the information that you're given within your board pack about how your organization, how the organization is, is uh, controlling and managing cybersecurity risk, if you can fit that on the back of a napkin, then that to me is, is certainly a, a sign that you're not being told enough. Um, and 
you know, nearly you're kind of in a helicopter and no one is telling you what's happening on the ground. So if you're going to be a victim, what I would say is at least make the, the bad guy's job harder. So if you're going to be a victim, don't be a victim of an unsophisticated attack. And there's plenty of simple defenses. I talk about a secure foundation and it's nearly a case of it doesn't matter what organization, you know, what type of organization you are. Um, there are some simple defenses that every organization has to have. Things like, you know, requiring more than just a password to log into critical systems. Um, training and testing staff members regularly because in most cases, attacks don't don't succeed because attackers hack in. Uh, attackers don't hack in, they, they fool your staff into doing things for them. I think the phrase is, they don't hack in, they log in. So the, the staff members are fooled into revealing their password, enabling the bad guys to log in, or the staff members are fooled into downloading something onto their device, which uh, establishes a kind of a foothold for the bad guys to then kind of have a look around and see, see where they are. Uh, blocking emails that contain unusual file attachments. Um, Back to the point of you know your staff trying to be fooled by the bad guys into downloading malicious software. A lot of the time in the past, those files were Microsoft Office documents with macros. Uh, Microsoft has done a lot of work uh, in recent uh, years and months to kind of reduce how easy it is for the bad guys to uh, to succeed at that. Uh, PDF files was also a common way, but now they're kind of moving into other file types like HTML files, uh, shortcut link files. ISO image files, files that are very unusual. And, and if I've mentioned file types that you don't, you've never heard of, that's what I mean. They're, they're using file types that um, kind of get around a lot of the common defenses that are now in place. But on the, on the plus side, they're using file types that, you know, it's very unusual that you'd have a, a genuine business reason as to why you'd allow those types of files in. So blocking those types of files could be, you know, um, a very simple defense to, to stop your staff members getting exposed to a dodgy email. Blocking access to known malicious sites. I mean, a lot of the the the, the attacks that are going around now, the, the you know the sites pop up and then they're gone within a few hours. But you know there are some well-known malicious sites that persist. Um, you can you know find very simple solutions that will block your staff members' ability to get to those sites. So even if they're fooled by an email and they click a link, um, you know the technology will stop them getting to where the link is going to bring them. Um, and restricting access to the to the use of privileged accounts. So I talked earlier on about you know staff members being able to download and install software on their application. That's a sign that they have special privileges. Um, what what's frequently called local administrator. Um, by removing those privileges, so that only a certain kind of well-trained, well-aware, smaller team of people who have the privileges, um, that sometimes can can stop attacks from succeeding. So even if a staff member is fooled by an email, even if they download malicious software. If the account is not a privileged account, it's a standard account, then a lot of that malicious software won't succeed uh, because it needs these privileges to persist and, and to remain on the device and spread. Again, the bad guys have ways around that, but this is about trying to make sure you're not a victim of an unsophisticated attack. Um, and disabling removing accounts that um, are no longer in use, you know, levers, uh, even movers, you know, it's about reducing the number of accounts that bad guys can, can get through, uh, can hack into. Uh, pathways into your organization. There's no need for the accounts to exist. You should you should be disabling them as soon as the person has left. Um, and ensuring devices are kept up to date with the latest software updates, uh, patching, whatever you might call it. Um, like I said, most attacks, they come through your staff members. They fool your staff members into doing something. Um, some of them do get through because of uh, security uh, vulnerabilities in, in software. Things like your VPN software, 
your remote, remote access, you know, your, your kind of team viewers, those types of tools that are used to remotely access systems, uh, they need to be kept up to date because if they have a security vulnerability, they, that might be the way that um, the criminals can get into your organization. But even if they, they get in through your staff members, again, if, this, if the software you're running is up to date, their attack may depend on the software having certain security vulnerabilities um, still there. If you've been keeping the software up to date, those vulnerabilities, there's a far lower risk that the vulnerabilities exist. So that was just a, a kind of a, a quick list of simple things that can be done by any organization to reduce the chances of being a victim of an unsophisticated attack. But where do you start? Um, Everyone will tell you this is a road trip. It isn't a kind of a one and done. Um, but what I would suggest is when you look at regulatory guidance, you know, it does say, you know, you need to have a strategy, you need to have the, the appropriate governance, you need to have risk management framework. You need to have all those types of things in place. And that is true. But what I would say is don't spend your time focusing on, you know, getting the right strategy, getting the right governance together uh, until you at least know that you've got the front door locked. Um, what I would call a secure foundation. You know, there, you don't need an expert, uh, you know, a, a crime prevention officer to walk in the door for you to know or for you to spot that your front door is wide open. So rather than worrying about your destination, uh, you know, where do you need to be based on the regulatory guidance? Where do you want to be based on your risk appetite and your business strategy? Uh, first of all, just make sure that you've had a look around as to where you are right now. So, you know, have a look at uh, the things that I say or other people say about what are the basic security measures that could potentially significantly reduce your risk of being the next victim. Um, have a look um, at where you are right now in terms of those types of, of uh, security foundational steps. And if where you are right now is not the safest place in town, start driving. So even if you don't know where you're going, get the hell out of where you are, because while you're thinking about where you want to go, um, you know, the attackers could could find a way in. And if you get attacked and it causes, you know, major data breach, let's say it's personal data that gets disclosed and you've got the DPC um, performing an investigation and you def your defense is, well, I didn't have those basic things in place because I was focused on my, you know, my risk management strategy and, and my board governance and all that kind of thing. I don't really know how strong a defense that is. So, you know, just get the, the kind of foundations in place and then come back um, and make sure that, uh, make sure then that you're getting your governance and long-term plans in place. Uh, so where would you start? So first assess where you are right now, uh, focus on the tactical improvements. So it might be improvements that you make right now that you'll pull out again. A lot of the kind of the, the simple measures aren't that expensive, um, but they provide significant benefit. Don't, don't think the cost is any reflection of the benefit that they provide. Second, you know, use the regulatory guidance as a baseline, um, but it is a floor, not a ceiling. And then, you know, look for a recognized cybersecurity framework as a benchmark. So there's, there are plenty of benchmarks out there. Cyber Essentials, CIS Controls, ISO 27001, NIST cybersecurity framework. There's, there's lots of them out there that, uh, depending on your organization, depending on your internal uh, cybersecurity capabilities, some of them will, will suit you better than others, obviously, depending on your, your business strategy and your risk appetite. You know, look for a benchmark. That's your target. So, um, the regulatory guidance is your is your baseline, is your foundation. Uh, your target should be a reasonable benchmark. But you know, it's it's an iterative thing. As you do one thing, you'll learn a bit more, and then you'll you'll decide that your your end state, your destination, might be different to what you expected. And then third, you know, as soon as you think you've kind of got a secure foundation in house, you need to start thinking about the third parties that you rely on. Um, because, as I say, very few organizations do everything for themselves. So your security is heavily dependent on the security of all those that you rely on. So you do need to go out 
looking at your vendor management, um, third party risk management, supply chain management, whatever you call it, you need to go across all of the, uh, the third parties that you rely on. Um, and what I would suggest you do is all the way report meaningful information to the boards, you know, be open about where you are, where you think you need to be right now, although that may change as you go along, um, what your key focus is, how you align to regulatory guidance, how you align to some of these benchmarks, so that the board members who are ultimately going to be held accountable for how this goes are fully informed as to what's going on and potentially could give you the support and the resources that you need to get there. Um, and then just for those who want to get a true A grade on this, how do you prove that you're in good shape? Um, there is this thing called TIBER uh, at a European level. It stands for Threat Intelligence um, Intelligence-Based Ethical Red Teaming Penetration Test. So that's why they call it TIBER. Uh, I don't know why it's not called TIBER, but there you go. Um, so it's a European-led initiative uh, now promoted by the Central Bank, and it's the idea of um, it, it's kind of the regulator and yourself and the expert cybersecurity um, testers working together to say, well, what are the threats that my organization faces? Um, how you know, do those threat actors get in? Let's test to see whether they could get in. Um, now, the results of the test, uh, you know, it's not part of the central bank's supervisory function, so it's very much a um, voluntary thing, but it's based on if you think that you really are A-grade around this, then let's, let's test and prove it. Alternatively, uh, you know, I think there's there's plenty of people that could be on this session uh, nodding your head in agreement today, if you're still listening, uh, then you'll walk away and do nothing meaningful and you'll wait and see what happens. Uh, and I've just picked out some a couple of things that, I've, that I got out of LinkedIn lately. Um, first up, you know, you, everyone's talking about ransomware and the impact and whatever. This is, this is the latest one of a survey of 300 IT leaders where they were hit by ransomware and the uh, implications for their organization. So 56% said, you know, hit revenue. 50% uh, said it, uh, it led to loss of customers and 46% it was a loss of reputation. So, you know, there's there's a lot of costs involved in ransomware and I won't go into that. The, the ransomware um, demand is, is only an element of the cost of a ransomware attack. The cleanup and the investigations and all that kind of thing, it makes it very expensive. Um, but, you know, the long-term reputational damage to your organization and to yourself uh, for having been associated with an organization that was attacked, uh, you know, can be very problematic. And then um, what would the Cyber Insurance Academy tell you? You know, uh, wherever we think we are right now, which is here, a uh, trillion dollars is the value of cybercrime. Apparently, it's the third biggest economy in the world. Um, by 2027, it's going to be nearly three times that. That's their uh, assessment. So, um, that brings me to the future, which is DORA. And uh, DORA is the latest European regulation, the Digital Operational Resilience, uh, before I go on, Digital Operation Resilience Act. And I would imagine you're all sick to death of reading my words. So I'm going to do the next slide as PowerPoint icons just to demonstrate my PowerPoint skills. So despite our cybersecurity defenses and despite the regulatory compliance checklists, uh, our defenses don't wash. The bad guys are still managing to get our money and run out the door. So the regulators have decided that it is time to get very serious about this and to tell us what we need to do, be much more prescriptive. And they're giving us a very tight time frame to get this sorted. So DORA comes into um, force, I don't, I don't know the legal language, but basically we all have to comply with DORA by the 17th of January, 2025. Um, so it would be a wise move to kind of have a think about it now because the journey will be 
nice and uh, and relaxed potentially depending on how you, how compliant you are right now alternatively you can wait and then you're going to have to race to the finish line which uh, could expose you to a lot of g-forces so what are the key points out of dora the focus is the digital resilience of financial services firms so um, some people might know of nis or the nis 2 directive dora is a kind of the specific um, you know, specialist regulation for financial services firms but also for what they call the ICT service providers that are involved in the critical and important processes of those firms. So if you're a fintech, if you're a SaaS, if you're providing anything in the cloud, if you're providing anything of an IT nature or a service um, that's based on the cloud or services based on technology, you're getting pulled into this as well. Um, and this is basically specific requirements and prescribed standards from the regulators um, in very specific areas. So instead of them saying, look, you know, this is what we expect and this is the guidance and whatever, now they're prescribing very specific things. Uh, things around IT risk management, how you should do it, uh, how you should run your, your third-party risk management, um, outsourcing risk management, um, instant reporting and very specific requirements around telling uh, the regulator about incidents. So if you've, if you've been in the world of GDPR, you know what it's like reporting within 72 hours to the DPC. Uh, the instant reporting to the, in this case here, the central bank would be uh, far tighter and the, the, the kind of level of detail you need to provide uh, might be more detailed. Uh, there's a requirement for regular testing, so you can't just have lovely policies that are filed away in a filing cabinet. You actually do need to do testing. Uh, there's internal audits and, and depending on your organisation, there's a requirement to um, have external audits as well at a frequent, uh, at a reasonable frequency. And there's a information sharing uh, you know, encouraging financial services organisations to share to share information about the incidents and threats that they face, so that their peers can learn from that. And it's providing a kind of a regulatory framework to enable organisations to do that, um, while still complying with data protection regulations, you know, competition law, things like that. So, it's um, to a large extent, it's it's kind of wrapping. Uh, all of the things around regulatory guidance that have come from the central bank, IOPA, you know, EBA, ESMA, all those things, it's wrapping them all up into one regulation, but becoming very prescriptive. So it's something that if it's not on your radar, it's something that you're going to have to think about. Uh, and the sooner you think about it, the better. So that's the, the wrap up really to cover, um, to go back over what we covered. You know, I've talked about the past, the central bank expectations from 2016 through to 2021. Um, I've talked about the present, the kind of the kind of common gaps that I've seen, the red flags that you know maybe you should just do a bit of digging around to see, you know, do you have the relevant security defenses in place to to make sure you're not an easy target and how you should get started. And then the future, which is which is Dora. Um, and that is that is nearly your new baseline. Um, so we're moving into a QA, but before I do that, I'll just kind of again, um, in case you missed the first slide, who I am, what I do how I do it. Uh, if you want to um, talk to me, if you want to give me any feedback on the session, I know it's a real skip through a lot of different topics. Uh, you know, you can find me on my website and also I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but at that point, we'll move into the, the Q&A. So thanks for your time. Great. Thanks, Sam. That was definitely a whistle stop tour, so I must appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I've been taking note of the questions and answers as they've been coming through. Um, I appreciate you had, to, you had to pack a lot of information into that time slot. But if, if we're asking people to maybe take away one recommendation from today's session, what would that be, Sam? Um, I think it's, uh, again, it depends on the audience. But if, if, you know, if you think you've got your cybersecurity measures in place, you've got a good internal cybersecurity team, then 
fair enough, your focus should be on regulatory compliance. But if you're if you're not sure that you've got a secure foundation, then you know focus first on making sure you're not an easy target on cyber attackers. Um, and then once you know you've got a secure foundation, you've got the basics in place, then look at the regulatory piece. And now that Dora is kind of is there, it's enshrined. I've got it printed here beside me. Um, start looking at at Dora uh, at the Dora regulation whatever it is, 60 odd articles, um, or at least start following, you know, some of the the, the, the premium sponsors here will have issued and, and will continue to issue some very good guidance around what you should think about, what you should be aware of. Um, just keep an eye on that and, and kind of be ready to uh, to look at that. Perfect. Um, you mentioned benchmarks um, in the presentation. What, what benchmarks are worth looking at? Uh, again, depends on the organization and the scale and, and the kind of the level of risk. Um, I kind of would describe it as a ladder. If you're at the bottom of the ladder, you need to look at, you know, the, the, the basics, the foundational type things. Um, you know, the NCSC in Ireland has has kind of a 12-step program. Um, there's a Cyber Readiness Institute. There's there's lots of other types of uh, global cyber alliance or cloud alliance. There's a lot of different ones where they say, look, if you've done nothing, then do these things first. And, um, and it covers a lot of the same ground as I've mentioned there. Uh, I do a lot of guidance around that kind of stuff myself as well. If, if you think you've got the, the, those basics in place and you don't think you're an easy touch for cyber attackers, then you're getting into things like the CIS controls, um, okay. which is uh, information security controls, NIST's cybersecurity framework, and then in, you're into ISO 27001, which is very much about risk management. So it's, it's a much more holistic kind of a getting something in place that's sustainable. Perfect. Uh, and a popular question today seems to be the cyber attack on the HSE was big news in, in 2021. Um, do you know anything more about how it happened and what lessons are for the rest of us, really? Uh, yeah, uh, and actually I see uh, PwC is there as a, as a premium sponsor. They they um, produced and the HSE published um, their executive summary and their detailed report about how it happened um, and the lessons to be learned from that. So kudos for the transparency from the HSE on that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of talk about, well, the HSE, you know, they had Windows 7 and they, you know, someone was fooled into clicking a link and, and all that, and all that's true. But I don't know how many organizations here are as complex and as diverse as the HSE. You know, there's 130,000 staff, there's 70,000 devices, 30,000 of them or 40,000 of them were Windows 7 at the time. Yes, a staff member clicked on something. Um, but there were lots of other defenses that failed along the way. Um, there were lots of alerts that weren't picked up on that could have uh, prevented it. I think the the attackers were there in March. They launched the actual attack in May. So there was two months, yeah. you know. So if you look at, at the report, the executive summary and, and definitely the detailed report, um, and I'll be writing about this myself in the next few weeks, um, there are some very clear signs that it wasn't necessarily a sophisticated attack. It caused absolute carnage. But the way the attack happened um, wasn't—it didn't seem to be, uh, at least in the report, it didn't suggest it was sophisticated. It was nearly just bad luck, um, and and a lack of defences caused it to to get bigger and 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 more, a higher impact. Perfect. As you said, there is just down to one, one employee and an email and an attachment. And it was, yeah. but you can't you can't you know like a human is not responsible for the organisation's cybersecurity. You know, like we can tell staff, look, the bad guys are targeting you. This is what they're doing. And, and you can tell people what, you know, what to watch out for. But you have to assume that someone's going to get fooled. We'll all get fooled at some point with the right message, you know, um, at the wrong time or the right message at the right time. So it's all about having defenses before that and after that to say, well, how do you reduce the likelihood of the email getting through in the first place? And and if it does get through and the, and the person clicks on it, how do you reduce the impact of the person clicking on it? So um, I certainly 
the last person I would blame here is, is the person that clicked on that attachment. Very good, fair point. And we might just take one more additional question, Sam, I am conscious of time. Um, just we'd like to get your views on cyber insurance policies and how they sit alongside some of the risk preventative measure, uh, measures you discussed today. Uh, well, I suppose insurance is one of the ways that you manage a risk. It's uh, what's risk transfer. Um, but, uh, and that's how a lot of firms have done it in the past. They've said, well, you we couldn't be bothered trying to, you know, it, it, our organization is too diverse. There's too many legacy systems. It's just impossible for us to actually get the, the secure foundation in place. So we'll transfer the risk. We'll get insurance. Okay. Um, but cyber insurers, uh, you know, in the early days, they didn't know how to price the risk. Um, they now know how to price the risk. And uh, so cyber insurance is getting more expensive. Uh, it's in terms of its coverage, it's getting much more limited. So it's, you know, there are a lot of insurance providers that are saying they won't insure, um, you know, nation state backed attacks. Uh, how you prove a ransomware attack was not nation state backed uh, is a tough one. So I think. Uh, and, and even if you can get insurance, um, a lot of the insurance providers are now asking you about your security controls and, you know, basic things, again, simple things. But it, you might say, oh, yeah, we do all those things and that's fine and they'll give you the cover. But if you have an, an incident and then they go, they come back to you and say, well, yeah, we'll cover the incident so long as you can prove you have all the things you said you had. Okay. Um, where's the evidence of those things, you know? So cyber insurance has a role to play, certainly, um, but it isn't your primary defensive mechanism, you know. Great. I think we might leave the questions and answers for there. Um, I want to thank Sam again for your time and energy this morning. Um, certainly as a webinar for us to reflect on and consider maybe likely gaps or improvements needed in our own firms um, from today. Um, just some housekeeping. Uh, the recording will be available via the Irish Funds channel on Vimeo, plus a, a podcast will be available on Spotify uh, next week. The handouts you might see um, are available to download through the session. Um, and please do watch this space from the Irish Funds FinTech Working Group. Uh, we do have some upcoming speaker events planned for uh, February, March, so we'll keep you posted on those. Um, I want to thank uh, Liam and all the Irish Funds marketing team for all our, our assistance with me and Sam um, in the last week. Um, it was definitely uh, much appreciated. We had three, over, I think, 360 registered for the event, which is definitely a record for uh, the FinTech Working Group, so we're delighted with that. And, and thanks again to all of you um, who attended and registered. Um, so we'll leave it there and say take care. And goodbye.